Welcome to the Justin Peters Program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, studying to show ourselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth so that we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me and my guest, Jim Osmond, for the second installment of our series on spiritual warfare. Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me back. And uh, just in case you maybe did not hear last week's program, we won't go into all the detail that we did last week, but uh, I want to uh, briefly introduce you to Jim. Again, Jim is both my friend and my pastor. He is a pastor at Kootenai Community Church in Sandpoint, Idaho. And uh, Jim, what is the website for uh, Kootenai Church? It's it's kind of a weird spelling you got to use to K O O T E N A I Church dot O R G Kootenai Church dot O R G Kootenai Church dot O R G. And I was um, I was telling the folks last week in the first uh, program on this series that uh, Jim is one of these guys. Who um, is he's a pastor of a small church in a small town, and in all likelihood, hopefully this may change, but in all likelihood, you know he will. Uh, people aren't exactly beating down your door. To ask It'll you stay to small. Yeah, speak at, the, <laughs> speak at the next big conference or, or convention. But you know, there's a lot of pastors out there that people have never heard of, but yet they are doing. They're, they're pastoring well. They're they're feeding the flock. They are protecting the flock against wolves, rightly dividing the word of truth, and uh, they just labor away largely in anonymity. Anonymity, um, known. They live in the ocean, right? Live in the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Live in the ocean. Sea anonymity. Sea anonymity. Okay. And um, but they yeah uh, they're but they're doing it right and. And uh, known largely just to the to their individual flocks, and of course to God. Uh, but that is that is what matters most. But um, he is he is one of these pastors that's doing it right, and it's very encouraging. It's been encouraging to Kathy and me to travel around and, and go into these small churches. And um, even though it's easy to get discouraged as you as you look at the visible spectrum of professing Christianity with all of the big name preachers and pastors that compromise in one way or another. There are these faithful men of God who are out there um, laboring in the Word and, and doing it right, and Jim is one of these. So it's an honor for me to to um, have him as my friend, and it's a it's a great blessing for Kathy and me to have him as our pastor as well. Honor so, and blessing is mutual. Thank you, Jim. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Jim, we were talking last week about your upcoming book that will be published on a Kindle format. On spiritual warfare. So, just briefly, briefly recap what we talked about last week. How you well, came last up. week we just talked about kind of my testimony um, and why why I wrote the book. Uh, that all of the proceeds for the sale of the book go into the Kootenai Community Church Building Fund. Uh, we're hoping to be able to uh, fund the the completion of our new facility. We're been working on it for 12 years and and um so this is just a it was, it's a fundraiser it's a labor of love for me because this this subject is dear to my heart having come out of i think a poor understanding of spiritual warfare uh the modern spiritual warfare notions i kind of came out of that and reformed out of that and uh 
and now I have a passion that people understand really a biblical perspective on spiritual warfare. There, there are really only two ways of looking at it. It's truth or territory. That's the name of the book, Truth or Territory. And uh, it'll be available at truthorterritory.com. Truthorterritory.com. Yep, truthorterritory.com. All right, good deal. All right, well, Jim, this week's program, we will be talking about the sufficiency of Scripture and as it relates to spiritual warfare, uh, people who have listened to me heard my either my seminar or heard my radio program. I, I come around pretty regularly to this topic, the sufficiency of Scripture. And There's a reason for that. I, I can't think of, I said this in my congregation a number of times, I cannot think of a single issue that plagues modern evangelicalism that does not have at its as its root cause an inadequate view of Scripture or a lack of belief in the sufficiency of Scripture or a lack of the practice of the belief of the sufficiency of Scripture. Whether it's spiritual warfare or the modern seeker-centered uh, church growth movement or uh, hearing the voice of God and, and all the chaos that ensues from that, none of these issues, all of them have at their, their foundation a lack of practice and belief confidence in the sufficiency of the word of god so you're going to you know in a ministry like yours you're going to come back to that time and again because that's the cent- that's a central issue right now that plagues the church it really is yeah it really is and i, I i'm no longer a card carrying uh, southern baptist but that is my denominational background i guess you could say and and uh, one of the things that that's interesting is that southern baptist take i dare say uh, probably a lot of of pride in winning the the wars over the bible's inerrancy uh, southern baptists really went through big battles in the late 70s early mid 80s over whether or not scripture is inerrant mm-hmm. and they, they won that battle we're, we're not won that battle. yeah we're not discussing that any, anymore right. you know at least not in in normal modern evangelical churches conservative evangelical churches right. If if you want to be a, a an evangelical of any of any uh, note, I suppose you're going to have to at least give lip service yeah. to your fidelity to the inerrancy of Scripture. Yep. You just have to give lip service to that. But where the battle seems to have shifted today, and I, I'd say even though we won the battle over the inerrancy of Scripture in theory, and I say we, I don't mean just Southern Baptists, but evangelicals in general, uh, in theory we've won that battle, the battle over the sufficiency of Scripture, I'd say we are losing at breakneck speed. Yeah. What say you? I, my my assessment, exactly. We are losing it. Uh, a lot of churches don't even realize we're in the midst of the battle. They don't even see the connection between um, b- believing in extra-biblical revelations or even the even the modern-day heaven notions of heaven visitations by Burpo and, and Piper and others that you've written on and I've written on, you've spoken on, I've spoken on. Most people don't even see the connection between an embrace of that testimony and what that says about their view of Scripture. When Piper's when Piper's understanding of heaven, his presentation of heaven, differs from Scripture, and people embrace Don Piper and pastors have him in to speak behind their pulpits and tell his story, and that's all it is is a story. Right. When when pastors have him in to do that, they are undermining people's belief in the sufficiency of Scripture because people don't understand. I don't need a four-year-old boy with a, an active imagination to tell me that heaven is real. Right. I don't need Don Piper, who claims to have been there, to tell me that heaven is real. Or even Alexander or anybody else who, who says that they have had these experiences and gone to heaven and seen things that, that now they're permitted to speak about. Paul wasn't, but they are. I don't need any of them to tell me that heaven is real or how to get there, because I know I have the testimony of Jesus Christ, and that is sufficient. But people, people 
don't approach life and theology as if the Bible is sufficient and it's enough and they're not satisfied with that. So they embrace all of these other, all of these other testimonies and, and uh, practices. Right. Right. And those are all practical denials of the sufficiency of scripture. Right. And, and you can, I tell people all the time, you can tell by how a pastor preaches and how he teaches and how he does church in, in a simplistic term, how he does church, whether or not he really believes what he says he believes. Yeah. And uh, some notable exceptions, I would say, to um, or notable examples, rather, of preachers who say that they believe in the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, but yet deny it in how they preach and how they teach. Uh, we see this certainly with Joel Osteen. Oh, yeah. And uh, Well, he starts off every service by, what's right. his little mantra that he says? This is my this Bible. Is this Bible. is God's Word. It is. You know, I will believe it. Uh, now put it underneath your seat because you're not going to need it again for the rest of the service. Isn't right. it something like that? <laughs> that that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, they affirm. The whole congregation does. They hold the Bible up above their head. They affirm their belief in this Bible, and then they don't they don't refer to it. He doesn't refer to it again. Right. And not in any meaningful sense. Not it, in it, any meaningful. No, I mean, he cherry picks he cherry picks stuff out of there like it's a a, a volume of quotes by Lee Iacocca or Harold, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. John Ford or somebody like that. Anybody. He just they they just cherry picks the verses out that support what he says wants to say. Right. And what he thinks they say. Right. And he uses it in that way. Right. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Ed Young Jr., I would say, is another good example of that. And he's, a he's a, at least in theory, a, a Southern Baptist, but his church is a, a three-ring circus. And, Jim, what does it say? I don't want to get too, off, too far off in the weeds here, but what does it say about a church when you go in and it is seemingly all about entertainment, entertaining the masses? And uh, 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 Ed Young Jr., for example, is known for incorporating secular, very secular Music and, and themes in his quote unquote church service. What does that say about their fidelity to the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, it, it's, it speaks volumes concerning their ecclesiology, what they believe about the church, because primarily they're saying that the church is for unbelievers or secularists or people who don't know Christ. And, and they're really more geared toward entertaining goats than they are in edifying sheep. Right. And that's how their that's how their ecclesiology is structured. But when when you walk into a church and and it's about the music and it's about the lighting and it's about the seating and the arrangement, is the nursery clean? Is there good parking? And who's going to win a, a fifty dollars Starbucks gift card for parking next to the pastor? Or you know, check under your seat and find a number. And if your number gets drawn, uh, you're the winner of the big screen TV this week. All of that is geared toward luring people in and making the service interesting because they don't have a belief that Scripture itself is interesting. And I believe if you open up the Bible and you do what any monkey can be trained to do, read the text, explain the text, and you do that Sunday after Sunday, that God's people will respond to that positively. God's people will grow. They'll be edified. They'll be equipped, counseled. They mature in that. They thrive in that environment. They hunger for that. And God's people will come to hear that. The goats won't because you're not giving them goat food. That's right. Scripture's not goat food. It's sheep food. But when you hear the voice of the shepherd in Scripture and they hear God's word in Scripture because it is expounded and exposited week after week, people come to have a taste for expository teaching and a love for Scripture. And the Scripture is central. But once you take the scripture out of that central role, you've got to replace it with something else to lure people in. Because the sheep aren't going to want to come and hear that. And so you've got to give something for the goats to come and listen to. And you're going to find sheep who think that it's all about God's word. And they think that this is what should be happening. But they're not educated and they're not equipped about what a church should be doing and what a church should look like. And so they've got to replace all of that, what they've taken out in scripture, they have to replace with something else. And it becomes a movie clip or a drama or a program or a fad or the Daniel diet or 40 days of purpose or 40 weeks of this or, or whatever. 
whatever it is, because something else becomes central and scripture is not. And so it's, it, it really is, you said it well, a guy can affirm inerrancy and a high view of scripture. He can say that with his lips. But I've said to people, I'll, let me hear him preach once, twice, three times, and I can tell you whether he really believes scripture is what he says it is. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Just in how he handles the text. Exactly. And, and is, is the text central to the message, to the application, and to the, the life and body of the church? If it's not, he doesn't have a high view of Scripture, no matter what he says. He can say, I believe the Scripture is sufficient. But if he doesn't rely upon it for all things, he doesn't believe the Scripture is sufficient. He says he believes it, but he doesn't. This right. is practical denial. And you get that you get that in the church growth movement, um, the personal growth movement. You know, the, the Daniel diet is just... I mean, it's absurd on the face of it, but this stuff, that these fads that come into the church, and it's all about personal growth and personal betterment and personal improvement, and you get into this program and this Bible study and read this book, and, and now it's Honey the Circle Maker and, and all the nonsense that goes on with, with you know praying certain ways and the yeah. prayer of Jabez. These fads blow into the church, and they blow out of the church, and they only catch on. They only catch on because people are not grounded in Scripture and they're, they're not hungering for Scripture and Scripture alone. And if they really believed that Scripture is sufficient, they would, never, they, would, they would never even buy these books, let alone read them and pass them on to others. Right. If, if the modern church had, a, had a, a, a true love for and a belief in the sufficiency of Scripture, they would, you wouldn't have a purple book selling six million copies. It wouldn't exactly. have sold six copies. Exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, and, and the fact that these books have sold millions, uh, millions and millions of copies shows the, the level of biblical illiteracy among right. professing Christians. And, it is and, because the pastors of these churches have removed Scripture from the center, and so their people are being fed spiritual styrofoam every week. They're, they're, they're feasting on rice cakes. They leave the congregation or this church service thinking they've been fed Scripture, and they're not. They've been malnourished. They think they're full because they have heard a guy speak, and they got all emotionally buzzed up, and they think they've been given truth, but they haven't been. They've been given, they've been given rice cakes. Have you ever eaten those rice cakes? You know what yeah, I'm talking about, little rice yeah, cakes? bland. Yeah, they're bland. They're, it's like uh, Yeah, but, it, but you would eventually acquire a taste for them, and if you eat enough of them, you feel full. But you're not going to get any nourishment off of them. Right. And there's no real depth or substance to them. That's exactly right. And nobody should ever eat them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Pass the steak. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and, and there's a, I think there's a, a real practical denial of the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture uh, it, it, when it comes to matters of implementing some of Christ's commands to the church. And, and sometimes people ask me, well, how do I find a good church? One of the things, Jim, that I've come to... To realize, you and know, I've talked about this a little bit, and I, I, we're gonna we're we're gonna get back to to the spiritual uh, warfare. Spiritual warfare, but we're kind of this program talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, I will tell people that uh, if you're looking at joining a church, ask the pastor, ask the elders, the leadership of the church. Do you do church discipline? Mm-hmm. And if if church discipline per Matthew chapter 18, and if they don't, then that speaks volumes, does it not? Oh about yeah, they're belief and true fidelity to the word of God. Yeah, yeah. Are they are they are they faithful to the scriptures or not? I had a pastor of a local church here in, in the Sandpoint area tell me one time at a pastor's meeting we were talking about church discipline and, and the need to cooperate with other churches. You, you discipline somebody and they go to another church and, and the pastor there doesn't want to deal with it. And we were trying to deal with this amongst the pastors of the ch- various churches. And I had one pastor say to me, but quite frankly, just as a matter of fact, he said, if we if we exercise church discipline in our church, we'd, we'd run everybody out. We wouldn't have anybody left. Mm-hmm. Right. So better to have all the goats there sinning, I guess, yeah. than to have the true sheep there uh, growing in Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very practical thing to do. I'll ask the ask the pastor, ask the elders, do you do church discipline? And if they if they do, that's that's a really good sign. That that tells you immediately that they have 
they have real um, commitment to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bible is important to them. It's central to them, even when it causes us to do things that maybe aren't the easiest things in the world to do. That's right. That's right. And you ask them, you do church discipline. If they say to you, oh, we're very disciplined. We've been doing the Daniel diet now for 12 weeks straight without falling <laughs> off once. You know you got a problem. Right. You know you got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Different kind of discipline. Look for the, look for the exit. <laughs> run. Doors. Run. Yeah. Don't walk. Run. Um, okay. So now, Jim, playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, for those uh, who, like you and me, we would say that uh, and affirm that, that Scripture is sufficient, some would say, well, Scripture is not sufficient for everything. Scripture doesn't tell you how to change your tire. Scripture doesn't tell you anything about nuclear physics. So what exactly what are, are we talking about when we, when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture? Yeah, when, when we say that we believe the Bible is sufficient, what we mean is that the Bible is sufficient for, for all of life and godliness. Uh, we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's in Second Peter. Uh, in the Scriptures, we have been given everything that God wants us to know, everything that we need to know to live the Christian life. It's not that the Bible reveals everything that can be known. The Bible doesn't tell me, like you say, how to build a foundation of a house. The Bible doesn't tell me how long to cook a pot roast. The Bible doesn't tell me uh, how to build a light bulb. The Bible doesn't tell me a ton of things, but the Bible does tell me everything that I need to know for life and godliness. Um, the Bible tells me all that I need to know about God. Not everything that can be known about God, but everything I need to know about God is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient to reveal to me everything about salvation and the life of Christ. It doesn't reveal everything about the life of Christ that could be written. John himself said there are things that could be written that if the world could not contain all the books that could be written. Right. So there are there are miracles, multitudes of miracles, things that Jesus said, places that Jesus went that we have no record of. And that doesn't mean that the Bible is inadequate, that it hasn't told us enough. It has told us enough, and the what is revealed in Scripture is sufficient for everything we need to know to live our Christian life, to get saved, to know God, to pray, to relate rightly to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to relate to each other, to run a church, to, to administer the church as elders, to exercise church discipline, to grow in grace and sanctification, to know Scripture, to, to know God's will for my life. The Bible is sufficient for all of these things. And, and to say that it is not is to deny the grace of God in giving to us sufficient information for His children to live a life that is pleasing to Him. And so now this ties into um, the spiritual warfare movement. This is where we get back to spiritual warfare. The Bible is sufficient for me to know everything I need to know about Satan and his tactics and his approaches and what is true regarding him, what God has done and will do regarding him, Satan and the demonic, and how I am to approach issues of truth and issues of spiritual warfare the Bible is enough, and anybody and anything, any writing that claims to give me information necessary for spiritual battle that is not in Scripture is, in practice, denying the sufficiency of Scripture. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and like you said, it, it is not to say that everything that could be known about God is in Scripture, but everything that we need to know about God is in is Scripture. In Scripture. Yeah, I... I mean, I don't know this, but if God is infinite in his perfections and his beauties and he is unlimited in every way, I I think that there is more about God that we don't know that is not revealed in Scripture than is known in Scripture. I think in Scripture we get a glimpse of who God is, but it is more than enough to lead me to a saving knowledge of him and to to give me confidence in him that I can trust him and his workings in providence and sovereignty in this world. I learn a ton of stuff about God from Scripture, but 
I think it's only a small glimpse. I mean, is it Job who says we are only acquainted with the fringes of his ways? But he is so infinite in his beauty and his perfections that all of eternity will be spent learning and, and understanding and knowing and growing in our understanding of him. So, But right. what is given to me in those 66 books is enough. Right. I can say it's enough. I need nothing else. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the guys that we talk about in, this, in the book on... The spiritual warfare that are in this modern day spiritual warfare movement, men like Neil T. Anderson, Mark Bubick, Thomas White, and others that we'll talk about, these men would all affirm verbally the sufficiency of Scripture. They would always all say the Bible is sufficient, and, and they would always, you read their writings, and it'll sound very orthodox, and, and they'll say, we always got to come back to Scripture. Scripture is God's Word. We need to trust that, rely upon that. It tells us this, and it gives us this information. But they go that far, but then the problem is that they don't go far enough in saying that information is all we need to know. So they will say they have, again, we're talking about men who say they have a high view of Scripture, say that the Bible is enough, but in their practice, they deny that. Because then they will, then you'll hear Mark Bubeck talk about information that he gets from interviewing demons during exorcism services. Um, Bob Larson does this, the same thing constantly. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Bob Larson, he's a, he's a guy on TV that you see going up to people and casting out, they talking to demons and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's bizarre. He's a wingnut and, yeah. and the, the interviews that they have with demons and gleaning information from demons about spiritual warfare and how things are handled and needing, needing the inside information of men like Mike Warnke and women like Rebecca Brown and, and others like that. They, in relying upon this extra biblical revelation that they get from anecdotes and from uh, clinical trials and, and from the writings of Frank Peretti, you know, they rely upon those things, and they are in practice denying the sufficiency of Scripture. They are they are saying Scripture is enough, but here's what we learn from a demon, and this is how this is good information, inside information. This is how we can use it against the enemy. That that is a denial of sufficiency of Scripture because they're relying upon information outside of Scripture. Right, and I think Jim, one of the great ironies in this is that just as you said, these people are claim to talk to demons, and they you know, and I don't know what you why why you would want to talk to a demon or even trust his testimony. Or tr- if yeah. a demon tells you something, what? Who in the world would trust that over the Word of God? These are that's the, insanity. The minions over the uh, under the the father of lies. Yeah. So why would you t- agents of darkness? Why but they will accept the word of a demon as if it comes straight out of Scripture. Yeah. I mean, you'd you'd be better off trusting the words of a carnival barker <laughs> or a, you know a, a, an underhanded you know. Use car salesman or something like that. Not that all. But that's not to impugn the character of the car- carnival barkers. Carnival barkers. I mean, there are some good used car salesmen. Good carnival barkers but yeah, too. But I mean, the point: why, why would you trust the word, the testimony of a demon? Yeah. Um, I had a lady email me a few months ago, and and she took me to task on my teaching about uh, that uh, Satan is not the god of this world. Now, Saint Corinthians four four refers to Satan as being the god of this age, a better translation there, god of this age. But I, the point I'm making is that God is the god of this world. He is the legal god of planet Earth. And uh, and Satan can do nothing other than what God allows him to do. And she took me to task and she said, yeah, but Satan, when Satan was tempting Jesus, Satan told Jesus that he would give him all of the kingdoms of the Earth. <laughs> and so how can you say that Satan is not doesn't have the authority to do that. He does. How could he give to Jesus what he doesn't own? And I, I emailed her back. I said, "Dear lady, 
remember, you're, you're talking about the father of lies here. <laughs> yeah. Don't be getting your theology from, from Satan. Right. The Bible accurately accords what Satan said. It is true that he said that, but what he said is not necessarily true. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. I'm yeah. glad you said that, Jim. Everything in the Bible is true. Everything is accurate. But not everything that is said in the Bible is true. Is true. Because the Bible records men lying and the lies that they told. So the record of them doing that activity is a true and accurate, infallible, inerrant record. But what they actually say is itself a lie. Right. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. Right. Uh, Yeah, records their lie. What they said was a lie, but it's a true record of their lie. It's a true record of their lies. Yeah. You know, that's... Boy, people really, uh, we really got to have a better handle on hermeneutics, how to how to rightly read and interpret Scripture. So um, You should do a series of uh, radio programs on that. I should. I've been thinking <laughs> about doing that. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing that. Um, one point I, I want to make, I, I think it's very interesting. One of the great ironies in this conversation about spiritual warfare in dealing with the sufficiency of Scripture, what we're talking about today, is that... Well, Paul says, a little bit of context, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, he says to his recipients in Corinth, do not exceed what is written. Mm -hmm. In other words, do not exceed the parameters that is written for us, given to us in God's Word. And when we do exceed what is written, when we do go outside of biblical parameters, we are opening ourselves up to the very demonic influence and demonic suggestion uh, that spiritual warfare, the, the common notion of it anyway, is supposed to protect us from. Right. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're. They they talk about being free, um, but you end up becoming in bondage to those things. How do you be preserved from deception? And they will talk about how to bind Satan and cast out this and uh, and renounce this, so that you're not deceived. You're wearing a belt of truth. You know your helmet of salvation. Not deceived in your mind, in your heart, and in your head. And yet. They will they will go outside of Scripture and incorporate all kinds of stuff that is itself deceiving notions of spiritual warfare and truth. Yeah, yeah. While promising uh, promising to tell the truth, they are actually peddling lies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. One of the great great and unfortunate ironies that uh, the the very teaching that uh, these these um, uh, teachers promote in spiritual warfare is actually exposing people to the very danger that's supposed to protect them from. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, as, as we begin to wrap up this program, uh, let's go over a couple of the passages that that attest to what we're talking about today, the sufficiency of Scripture. There's, there's two key ones, um, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Uh, seeing that His, that is God's, divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now those two passages describe that, uh, you know, Paul says to Timothy that it's God has inspired Scripture and it is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that we might be adequate and equipped for every good work. Paul didn't point Timothy to anything other than Scripture to make the believer adequate and equipped for every good work. That is sufficiency. It is adequate. It is it is profitable for all of these things. It is it makes us adequate and it, it makes us equipped for every good work. Not some good works. Not 
just service in the church, but the, the work of spiritual warfare itself, which is standing for the truth, proclaiming and defending the truth, that is the act of spiritual warfare. We are adequate for that. We are adequate to attack that good work. And, and what is interesting about both of those passages, and, and the one in Peter says that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And remember, that's what we go back to the de- definition of Scripture, of a sufficiency of Scripture, that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. And, and by that, Peter doesn't mean cooking, how long to cook your pot roast. He's talking about the spiritual life, living a life in the church as a Christian, the life that God has called us to live. Everything necessary for that, God has granted to us in his word. And what's interesting about both of those passages, Second Timothy 3, Second Peter uh, 1, 3, and 4, is that both of those passages, written by one written by Peter, one written by Paul, they were written at the end of their lives. Paul says in Second Timothy four that he was uh, he, he was expecting he had run his run his race, fought his fight. He was expecting that his life would come to an end at any time. He asked Timothy to bring the parchments and the writings and and the cloak and come to him before winter. But Paul, in all likelihood, expected his head to be gone from his body before winter ever got there. He knew that his he, his his race was over. He was at the end of it. And same thing with Peter. Second Peter is Peter's last epistle, and he speaks in there in chapter one about laying aside this earthly tent and. And yet he wants to remind people, knowing that the laying aside of his body was coming near. And he knew the end of his life was coming. And yet, in both of those passages, they describe the sufficiency of God's word in the life of a believer. Peter and Paul, knowing that knowing that their lives were coming to an end, did not point Peter to a succession of apostles. He didn't point them to experience, to tradition, to councils, to another pope, to anybody else after that. The next generation of apostles, nothing like that. He pointed them, Both men pointed uh, their readers to Scripture. Amen. Knowing that the apostles were going to die, they said, you go to the word, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. The word is sufficient for all life and godliness. The word is sufficient to equip every us for every good work. So at the end of their lives, looking forward to their time coming to an end, to their readers, they said, you look to the word of God. And, and why? Because it is sufficient and it makes us adequate for every good work. Right. I think it's interesting that Peter wrote and he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy, a more sure word. And, and he was context of this he was referencing what he had witnessed at the mount of transfiguration his experience he said here's my experience and i had an experience unlike anybody else ever right and only two other people shared that with him james and john and yet the bible is more sure it's a more sure word yeah amen and uh and two i think uh, in our notes here is something interesting is is that all of these books that have recently come out say i say recently in the last four decades or so uh, have come out dealing with spiritual warfare, how to bind Satan, how to break generational curses, how to how to um, map spiritual territory, and all these things. Well, where where has this information been for the last nineteen hundred years? Has, has yeah. there been this giant gap in our in our spiritual knowledge that has only been filled by these? Uh, you know, the Neil T. Andersons and the Mark Bubecks. Yeah. Well, they would argue that the information's been there all along, but we just needed the right people to come out and sort of systematize it for us. And, you know, that would be their, their argument. But once again, it, it's a practical denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and, and think of their, their approach to spiritual warfare. Think of what it implies. It does imply that something more is necessary than what God has provided in His Word and in the Gospel. Something extra is necessary. An exorcism, or mapping this, or knowing this, or interviewing a demon, or whatever it is. If that is necessary for me to effectively fight the spiritual battle, then what about Christians for 1900 years? They've been without this. And and it implies that God is inadequate, and that God is not forward-thinking enough to provide me everything I need at the outset. 
which I believe he did 1900 years or 2000 years ago, uh, in the, in the writing of the New Testament, the, the completion of his word. God has provided for me everything. But along comes a group of men who says, well, God has not provided everything. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's, it's right. adequate, but there's more that's necessary. And this implies that what God has revealed to the church for 19 centuries was inadequate. Right. It's not enough. Right. They weren't able to effectively battle the enemy like Mark Bubeck, like Neil T. Anderson have. Yeah. You know, well, we're supposed to thank the Lord for these men. Where would we be without them? Right. You know, that's, that's the implication of that. Yeah. And, and every, every major cult, or every major or minor cult, whatever, every cult. Every false religion. Every false religion. Every denomination that has strayed off into the uh, uh, weeds of, of theological liberalism. It has begun with an abandonment, a rejection of the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah, it's yep. not enough. We've got and it's not always—it's not always an outright denial. It's not like a guy stands up in a pulpit and says, "I don't believe the Bible is sufficient for life and godliness." Right. Because most churches would run them out on a rail if they did that. Right. But they stand up and they say, "The Bible's great. The Bible's God's word. We want to honor Scripture." And then they, they just slowly creep away from preaching it and making the word central. And other things begin to fill in. People get distracted. People begin moving away from it. Pretty soon you start changing this. And, and you know, 20 years, 30 years later, well, we got female elders. Where'd that come from? Well, yeah. you know, we got, uh, we're just we're just sort of working. We're, we're getting there. We're, we're doing what's contemporary and relevant. And then before long, you got a female chairman of the elder board. And pretty soon you don't even have an elder board. You just have a board of directors, and then, right. and then you've got females on that, and then you've got a female pastor who's hired by this board of directors, and then you've got the female auxiliary who runs everything. And pretty soon you have women leading worship, leading the preaching, and leading the communion service, and the men are absent, and, and you've you got Catherine Jefford Shorey leading your worship service. Yeah. You know? And then you wonder, well, we've gone from believing the Bible is sufficient to now we're ordaining homosexuals, we're ordaining women to pastoral positions, and we can't even remember the last time the Bible's opened in a church service. Yeah, yeah. And unless you think that can never happen to your church, <laughs> oh yes, it can. Yeah, oh, it does. When, when you start, it's it's the, you know, it's the camel getting his tent, his, his nose under the tent. I mean, it once yeah. you abandon in any capacity, in any fashion, even though it may seem small, once you abandon the sufficiency of Scripture and you start letting in these unbiblical um, practices and, and notions and teachings. Um, it's it's just a matter of time. Yep. Before look at John. I mean, John and Charles Wesley would be rolling over in their proverbial graves if they could see what the United Methodist Church has become today. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Albert Muller says churches are not killed by homicide; they commit theological suicide. Yeah. That's, That's how churches die. They're not, they're not they're not they're not closed down because people kill them. They close down because they commit theological suicide. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jim, very good. Very good word. Uh, d- dear ones, thank you for joining us on this program. And uh, we will have another nine or so programs dealing with spiritual warfare. I'm very, very excited of this series with Jim Osmond, pastor of Kootenai Community Church and author of the book Truth, Spiritual Warfare, Truth or Territory. And again, Jim, once more, the website, how can the people get the book? Uh, truthorterritory.com. Okay, and uh, next week, give us a little...
preview for next week's program. Uh, next week, we're going to be dealing with the, the subject of truth or territory, uh, contrasting the modern view, which is uh, that we do hand-to-hand combat with demons, with the, the truth view, which is that spiritual warfare is a battle over the truth. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All right. Good deal. Dear ones, thank you for joining me. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org.